You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Justin Wise, and Justin is the managing member of 2% Certified RPS Bank Card, and RPS Bank Card um, is a payment processing company, Uh, so what that means is anytime you're buying something online um, through, you know, anywhere from a small business all the way up to, you know, uh, something much larger or inside of a, you know, big box store, um, and you pay with your credit card, there are payments, uh, and processing fees and all that good stuff that go along, um, with that. And RPS bank card is helping businesses, uh, keep those costs and those fees as low as possible. Um, so certainly when we kind of kick off the conversation, we get to, to dive into that a little bit, um, 
really, you know, how he got started in this business, um, you know, prior to RPS Bank Card, um, you know, the, the opportunity that he had um, with some partners to get this up and going um, and how long he has been doing that and really, you know, all the benefits and everything that come along with their system. Um, not only that, we get to spend a good amount of time really talking about Justin and his upbringing in the outdoors in Oregon, um, you know, what it looked like for him, um, you know, experiencing a lot of these uh, like banquets and, and whatnot at a young age. And, you know, the, the questions started to come about where's all this money going uh, to at these banquets, you know, really what is conservation and seeing conservation um kind of in an old school way uh with the banquets and i know that banquets are still a you know a vital part of a lot of organizations as far as fundraising memberships things like that um so he got to to take that all in and get to talk about um you know sheep hunting quite a bit it's one of the things that uh justin really loves to do had a chance to do it a few years ago talk about that experience uh the wild sheep foundation you know, what they're doing um, for that species and just for conservation uh, in general. So really fun, kind of cool episode that, uh, or cool conversation that I have with Justin. So episode 91, Justin Wise. Uh, Let's see, today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Wild Rivers Coffee, Sammy and Marshall. Uh, If you have not had the opportunity yet, I highly suggest giving Wild Rivers Coffee a go. Uh, it is my go-to coffee. It's what uh, keeps me uh, ready to go throughout the day. Uh, the Guatemalan blend uh, is my personal favorite. Um, and at Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches so that they can ensure your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Um, just look on the bag. It'll tell you when it was actually brewed. So you will know how fresh it actually is. Wild Rivers Coffee is also a proud partner with 2% for Conservation, and they believe in preserving the wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. That's why with everything they sell, a portion of proceeds are being donated back to conservation organizations that are near and dear to them. So head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com, grab your fresh roasted beans, some super cool handmade bugs, a ton of sweet merchandise, ton of accessories for grinding for pour over however you want to uh, enjoy your coffee uh, and while you're there subscribe you're going to save 10 percent off your orders or if you just want to grab some swag grab a mug use the code and this is all caps fish underscore wildlife and you're going to save 15 percent off your order so again head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com all right, I'd like to welcome into the show today the managing member of 2% Certified RPS Bank Card, Justin Wise. Justin, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Marcus? I'm doing well. I uh, I appreciate you making some time today, and uh, you know I look forward to hearing more about the company because this is um, you know the the company that that you're a part of, and you know kind of the industry that you work in, and you know the the product and service that you're offering um, is it's one of a kind, especially in the world of 2%. Uh, but it's also one that, while so many people use it really on a day-to-day basis, uh, and they just don't realize it, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, we'll kind of get into that. But it's uh, it's something that's pretty fascinating to me. So I, I'm I'm certainly excited to to hear more about the company. Great, yeah, of course. Yeah. So tell me about RPS. 
So I got to do a little background for you. So I started in the industry itself about 14 years ago, and I was working for a gentleman who is now one of the other members. Um, And I was working customer service before that in a totally different space. And he approached me and said, hey, I think you'd be a good fit doing what we do. And um, I went in blind and pretty much learned it all from um, a gentleman who's got you know another five years experience more than I do and learned it from there and then we separated out on our own um, four years ago um, had a neat opportunity to um, acquire a portfolio of business and with that we were able to do some bigger things than we were doing previously because this is all a uh, merchant services as a whole takes a few things you got to do you have to contract with a processor certify yourself with Visa and MasterCard and, um, you know, a lot of people do fail at it, but we were luckily, we'd, we'd been working at it for a while before RPS bank card was actually formed. Okay. So for those listening, you know, tell us, tell me exactly what RPS bank card is. Sure. So we're, we're at, it's called an ISO. We're an independent sales organization of a credit card processor. So we are able to sell the services that, uh, folks can use in a retail storefront, uh, website, you know, the e-commerce platform, whatever it may be, in order to accept credit card payments and the kind of hardware and gateways that are necessary to do so. So, are you doing like all of the? I mean, because I'm a well, I mean, I guess take me through it. Is that do you have to like write some type of like program or code um, that I guess adapts to each individual each individual's uh, or company's needs? Or is the platform that you guys have kind of a one-size-fits-all model? Uh, it's a one-size-fits-all model. Um, it's We work with the largest processor out there, actually. Um, it's called First Data. They're owned by a company called Fiserv. And, again, we, we worked with them for a while with another gentleman who was kind of was the actual ISO uh, before we formed our own. And um, there's a lot of hardware options that are available. And then there's a lot of payment gateways that are available. We just prefer certain ones because they're uh, easier to work with, customer friendly, and they fit into most, you know, shopping cart website or retail, you know, storefront places. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, in the last probably, I don't know, let's say five years, um, there's been kind of this emergence of a lot of people um, building their own websites, um, selling their own you know, goods, whatever, you know, those goods may be. And they're using a lot of these Shopify, Squarespace, right. um, you know, these kind of build a site um, templates that are out there. Now, does yours plug right in to something like that? It does. So towards those, you know, folks like Shopify or like a Stripe setup, you know, very, very smart how they built their platforms because they made it once you integrate with like Stripe or Shopify, you generally are tied into just their processing. So they they went ahead and built the programming behind it as well as they became an ISO like us. Okay. Versus versus ours was we started really heavy in the retail space um, just because of where, you know, we all came from, tw- you know, 15 years ago. And then websites have just become more and more prevalent over time now. And, and fortunately, we were able to, you know, partner with some really good gateways and then we actually work with one directly that is um, that fills those spaces for us now that it, you know, the market has changed. So, I mean, when you guys you said you you um, inherited this this book of business, 
But in order to, you know, gain, you know, new business, are you guys going out like into like these retail storefronts, uh, these brick and mortar um, type locations and actually like explaining to them the service and selling that into them? And, you know, or I mean, I'm assuming obviously they, they probably have something in place, you know, to, to be able to accept credit cards and things like that. I mean, what is kind of the, the difference between what you guys are offering and some of the other things that are out there? Sure. And that, and that's, this is where, you know, you can get into the uh, conservation side of these conversations too. So we, again, we were doing it for long enough that um, with, with a different partner that uh, we already had referral partners and relationships with um, a certain bank uh, that we work with. And that's really how all the background came because we, we had built um, with our customer service skills and the costs that we're able to offer uh, we were able to, that's how we were able to get a certain amount of customers to build our referral base. And so, so yes, there is still, you know, a lot of phone calls, uh, emails out to, um, new clients. Uh, but we're also very blessed to have, um, a nice referral stream of folks who know about us or, you know, another client will tell a friend of his, Hey, call this guy. He takes care of me really well. Or, that, that's really been the kind of the bread and butter is the is the referral side of the business. Yeah, I mean the the referral is kind of the best customer, right? Because oh, you, I mean you don't you don't have to to work for it on the front end. Obviously, you have to do all the customer service. You have to you have to do all the things that make you know your company and your um, your product great. But the you know a lot of times for a lot of these companies, regardless of what type of uh, service you're selling, it's that. You know, it's that initial breaking of the ice, introducing yourself, you know, giving them the um, the advantages to your system and everything like that. And to be able to, to you know, rely heavily on referrals, I mean, that kind of opens up, I'd imagine, a lot more of your time to be able to focus on those back end type things. Right. And and the, with the referral to the bad part about the industry as a whole is that most folks who accept credit cards and whatever business it may be has a horror story. And so <laughs> getting referred in, there's, you know, there's a level of trust there that thank goodness and just say hi and kind of explain, you know, where we're at and where we're coming from. And, and that is, that is a huge benefit and a huge bonus that, um, you know, just time is built for us. Yeah. So what is it that really separates you guys from some of the other ones out there? I really believe, you know, for, for the guys working, it's, it's a customer service. Um, and you know, we, we give our cell phone numbers out. We, um, you know, there's a, even if you call our one eight eight number, um, you, it gets directed right to our cell phones, which is a big benefit when it comes down to, Hey, I'm missing a batch. I have my money's not here or, Hey, my terminal just exploded or, you know, something crazy like that. Um, I mean, customer service a hundred percent is where we really, um, shine. And I, historically anyways. And then I, I'm pretty proud of our pricing. We're able to do some competitive things and, and, um, you know, it showed over, over the years. So, yeah. And that's one of the things with, uh, with a smaller, uh, company really in any industry, right. Is, you know, traditionally smaller company means your prices are probably going to be uh, a little bit higher than maybe some of the, you know, the really large businesses or corporations or anything that are offering, uh, the same or a similar product, but when you have people that are willing to pay for it, that are willing to pay your prices, or you can be, 
you know, like you just said, competitive with your pricing. Um, I think that really kind of goes back to, like you just said, the customer service, because anymore to, to call, you know, especially like a 188 number, you know, anytime you, you're calling like a helpline or a help desk or anything like that, I mean, you feel like you get, you know, shuffled around three or four times before you finally get someone on the phone. And then, you know, a lot of times that person isn't super helpful, right? Absolutely. Happens all the time. Yeah. So how long did it take you guys to to really get up and running with the business? Oh, um, I mean, ooh, that's a good question. I'd have to. So going back to the original group that I worked for, um, there was already a gentleman, like I said, who, who trained me. And then there was um, the gentleman who owns that company. He um, had a really nice presence in the ATM business. And, you know, your standalone ATMs that you've got in convenience stores and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and so there was there was folks that weren't quite using credit cards as much or uh, maybe had a need for it and didn't know that that was an offer that we could do also. And so that was really helpful. And then at that time when I was really getting started, uh, we had a – bank relationship with a larger bank that's now been acquired and sold out three times. But, um, meeting all those folks and doing all that business up and down the West coast, um, that really, really opened the door more than anything. Yeah. Now you mentioned, um, obviously that you guys kind of have a, uh, a one size fits all, um, service or product. How easy is it for, you know, let's say someone like me who who has a, an online or, you know, an e-commerce uh, website um, to, gosh, I'm trying to think of what I even use, uh, Stripe, sorry, you know, the, uh, a pretty common one, especially with these build a site um, yeah. templates out there. So how easy is it for someone who, who has a system in place like mine to switch it out for, for RPS? So the big question, if you already have the payment gateway and you have a shopping cart set up, you want to make sure that uh, the current shopping cart you're using without making any crazy changes will allow for one of the easier payment gateways we provide. And then from there, it's usually pretty easy to help out because um, we actually help from the account creation. You would have a digital application sent to your email. Um, You would go through that. Merchant numbers we can generally provide within the same 24 hours, and then your gateway account is built within the same 24 hours, so you can have a merchant account within a day. Oh wow! So yeah, that is that is a really quick turnaround, especially when you consider you know all that's going into it and you know the importance behind it. Usually, with something like that, you tend to think it's you know it, it's kind of a, a more long drawn out process. Right, and and that's some of that's changed here in the last year and a half, two two years. Um, you know, when I first started, it was easily three to seven business days before you would have anything up and created. And so um, technology just made life easier. Um, so, yeah, within a day, and, I, and I've seen a circumstance where we had an account created in six hours and done and out the door. Oh, wow. Which is, no, oh, it was fantastic. Now, how many people do you guys have on your team over there? So we've got four of us as members slash owners. Um and then we've got got a su- kind of a subcontract group that has another five people on it. Okay. So we, I would say, just overall for just the team for RPS Bank Card LLC itself is there's four of us, and 
again, we're um, operationally, I handle most of our operations and then a couple sales guys. Yeah. Now, are you guys just kind of focused primarily out there on the West Coast? I know you're you're in Oregon there. Are you just kind of focused in you know, up and down the West Coast there? Or are you guys, you know, reaching out, you know, f- you know, further east as well? Uh, we are, are one of our sales guys is mostly in the Oregon market. And then um, I work all over the place, actually. Um, I have some different referral partners, uh, one out of St. Louis, for example, that has business all over the place. So it's kind of where it's taken us over the last few years. So with that referral partner, you never know. I mean, he's Texas, Florida, Connecticut, all over. And yeah. then with the stuff I do with uh, with um, a couple of our conservation partners, again, also all over the place. Yeah. So let's let's kind of let's talk about the conservation side of things, because Obviously, when when people think of a company like RPS and have an understanding for what they do, you know, I I mean, conservation is usually not something kind of synonymous with it, right? Right. right. <laughs> but so, how was it? I guess that you know whether it was just yourself or some of the other uh, members of the LLC there. How was it that that you guys really first learned about two percent for conservation? So I learned about 2% um, from Jeff Spazito. Uh, he was really working on the idea when he was the um, conservation director at Sitka. Yep. Uh, um, and I had just started working with the Wild Sheep Foundation, and he and I sat down and had a conversation, and and he was telling me about the idea and loved the idea. Um, you know, time and money put back and some accountability for where you're, you know, your business and or you personally are really – uh, putting yourself out there from in the conservation space um, was, I mean, awesome idea in my opinion. So, and then it kind of held off a little bit. And then I met Jared when Jared stepped in um, and, you know, you know where it's at now. He's taking it above and beyond. And it took me a couple of years to get um, bank card up and um, certified. Uh, but however, uh, it's been, it's been an awesome, we're an awesome thing it's turned into it. And, and seeing it now and watching all the companies that are that are getting certified and all the folks involved it's that's great yeah no that's um it's funny i just had jeff on uh i think it was just last week that uh oh, yeah oh, yeah, that we, yeah that we had jeff on the podcast and yeah hearing really the origin story of two percent because i don't think a lot of people um you know really know the involvement that he had i mean obviously being kind of the the brains behind the operation to right. um to get two percent you know, just up and off the ground and then obviously pass the torch on to Jared. What are some of the organizations uh, that you guys are working with? So we work with, you know, I, I started local um, working with the Oregon Hunters Association. And then I, I did not have any of our processing with them, but I was really putting a lot of my time into the local uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation chapter. And then I made a phone call out and talked with Terry out at the wild sheep foundation and we started working with them, um, and getting more on a national level. And so now, now we work with, uh, the wild sheep foundation, the mule deer foundation and backcountry hunters and anglers. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Now, you know, obviously to, to want to get involved with conservation and to want to, you know, be able to, to give back your time and your dollars, you obviously have to have, 
um, some love, appreciation, gratitude for, you know, the outdoors, wild places, all that good stuff. So how was it sure. that you really got started in the outdoors? Oh, my family, uh, my family, a bunch of big, um, outdoors people, um, hunting and fishing, uh, more hunting than anything else. Um, you know, born and raised out chasing blacktail. We've got some of the best blacktail hunting in the country here where I live. And, um, I remember my first banquet, I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, went to a local Oregon hunters banquet and was watching my dad do his thing and, and, you know, buying the raffle tickets and oh, yeah. watching the hunts. And, and I was just like, man, what are you doing? And where's, where's their money over here? And I just, I was pretty enamored with it. And then, um, we always went to those two banquets, the RMEF banquet and the OHA banquet. And, um, then I really got hooked once I just happenstance, the Oregon hunters state, um, office is actually here in Medford where I live and knew the, uh, she's now the secretary, um, or controller both. And she gave us tickets and let us kind of go watch her do her thing. And, um, it was awesome. It really, it really just spurred on from when I was a kid all the way to that banquet. And that's when we started getting more and more involved as much as we could, you know, trying to, um, find raffle prizes, you know, go out and help out and, and spend our time out there, um, getting some of that stuff done. Cause as anybody knows who tries to get any sort of items for auctions and, or, um, any of those shows, you just, you got to have a network. And yeah. so we, we started doing it just from our golf context that we have here locally. Um, and we were getting rounds of golf and clubs and all that kind of stuff. So it just kind of it led to the passion of I, I loved watching people uh, bid on those items. I loved seeing the money it was raising and went from there. Yeah, and growing up in a family of outdoorsmen, uh, you know, whether it's hunting or angling, anything like that, it's it's one of those things that I find that it's not that you really ever want to, but that that sticks with you. Now, you may take a break at some point in your life, whether it's high school and sports and friends or, you know, college and just not having the time or, you know, just kind of geographically where you're at. Maybe there's just not a lot of opportunity, but there's certainly something that always, you know, if you grow up in it, you you kind of always come back to it. And was that the case for you or was it just kind of, you know, since you started and, and, and got involved at a young age that you just stuck with it all the way through to where you're at now? Yeah, stuck with it, and it's actually like more more passionate about it. I mean, it was so for my family, we we elk hunt or try to if we can draw tags over in the Hell's Canyon, um, Northeast Oregon. And as you know, younger men growing up, we never got invited until we were eighteen or twenty because just to make sure you know that country's very severe, and you see all the pictures and and the bulls when they would come back and all the stories, and and then getting invited finally, it was kind of like wow, all right you know, finally like earned my spot. And then once you go over there and see it and then hunt it and just be involved in all the traditions and things, it was a, uh, it was a pretty serious moment to, um, spur my continued love. And it's, it's only gotten, it's more on fire now than it's at 40 than it is <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. It's funny how, well, I think a lot of that is too, is now we have, you know, as adults and, you know, more financially stable and and things right. like that like you have the the means to to become more passionate to spend more time and do all these things and that's what i find too is that 
the older you get, the more the passion just kind of takes hold of you. The more you you spend your your nights and weekends thinking about it or planning for you know your next trip during the fall or whatever the case is. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I my best friend and I started planning a um, sheep hunts five years ago and we just were able to go do um two in a row uh, my tag first and then his tag and just to go go to alaska um on a couple doll sheep hunts and you know him being there when i was lucky to find one too and then he and then i was there with him when he got his first and just the pack out and the memories and the smiles and the tears i mean it's second to none yeah so what was that like because obviously you know a doll sheep hunt in alaska i mean those are those are coveted hunts, right? I mean, those are things that that people save up for or put in tags for for you know their whole life, and maybe they only get to do it one time. So, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was dream come true. Um, again, we we planned we planned for uh, it took four years, and then we were able to found an amazing outfitter. Uh, now become friends of ours, and my particular hunt, we were eight days in over 60 miles and 18,000 vertical feet before we've had an opportunity to ram, um, you know, just all that hard work and, um, like the country. I mean, I can't even begin to describe the country. I hope anybody who has a love for the outdoors gets a chance to just go hike or pack or hunt Alaska. Cause it is amazing. And then the second year we go back and it was a totally different experience. We were three days in harvested, uh, my friend's ram, and then we got the experience, the camp experience and, and hanging out with all the guides and working on, you know, working up all the animals. Um, cause we were in camp with a couple other hunters and moose shed hunting, um, just hiking, clearing trails for the guys, you know, having fun like that. So getting the dual experience two years in a row, it was amazing. Yeah. Those are, you know, I've, I've not had the opportunity to, to hunt sheep or, or even go to Alaska, but what you just said is echoed from a lot of people that I've talked to that have had that opportunity, right? It's it's really hard to put in words unless you've actually been there. You, you, you've you seen, you know, kind of the, the grandeur that is Alaska, right? I mean, it's it, it's an incredible place. And yeah, I, I certainly hope to get there someday. Oh, I recommend it. And I mean, I, I will say this too. So after Chief shows, you know, it was just last month and we were there watching all the auctions and folks putting themselves out there and putting all that money back towards conservation. And after, you know, being able to hunt the animal, hunt one of the animals and, um, see the places they live and they, it, and they're supporting that. And all these people doing what they were doing. I mean, sheep show is a record year again, and it, it makes it not more special, but it just adds to it. I guess you could say it's just, it's neat to see, um, people putting all that stuff back into those amazing animals. So, yeah, and that's one of the things that's really cool about just conservation in general, and, and a lot of these, you know, like sheep show um, is a is probably like the prime example of it, right? Is is all these all these people that are putting money back into conservation, and you know, it may be something that they may have hunted at one time, uh, they have aspirations of of doing a sheep hunt, um, or they just are enamored with the animal itself and, and really have no interest in, in trying to go on a hunt. They just, they see the need for it, the importance of it, um, you know, with the, with the fundraising and everything like that. And they give back. Cause I mean, like you said, a, a, another record setting year, I mean, I think, gosh, what was it? Six, 
10 million, somewhere in that millions of dollars that were raised throughout the course of sheep week. Yeah. I think it was 10 million. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's insane to think of that that much money was raised in, you know, over a four or five day period for just one species. Pretty awesome. What do you think it is about? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. I mean, since you've had an opportunity to hunt, I mean, what do you think it is about the sheep that makes people just write checks, open up the bank account? I mean, it just seems like people just throw money at it to some degree, right? I, I mean, it's it's the wild places they live. I can I can tell you that. So I mean, I that, from my experiences. So you know, um, going up to where you're actually hunting them and the physical and mental mindset you got to be in and you know not giving up and you know going your full 10 12 days and just you know putting all putting all of it into if you get one or not and uh, there's nothing really like it i don't think i i mean we even came back i can i can tell my my best buddy and i my hunting partner we we go usually a 10 to 15 day elk hunt and we came home from our first sheep hunt together and it was like you want to go for four or five days kind of I don't know. <laughs> I, that, that was it. That was like the apex. I was like, I don't know if I don't. I don't. <laughs> it, yeah, nothing's so, going to live up to that, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know, if you're able to, that's that's amazing. You can go ahead and buy one of those governor's tags, or or um, you know, spend money in a bunch of those raffles and stuff, and you know, put it back where to support something you love. And you see it happen at Mildred too at the at the Hunt Expo. You know, a couple of the tags there went for. Gosh, like four hundred thousand, I think this year. Wow, wow. Yeah, I think it was the Arizona tag it was four hundred thousand this year for a mule deer. Wow, that's incredible. For a, isn't that crazy? It's crazy. So. Yeah. So, with the whole conservation side of things, I mean, is that something that when you were young, you know, with you know hunting with relatives with family, like, is that something that was talked about with you guys, or was that something that was more like? Um, kind of lead by example or or did you you know were your dad or your grandfather kind of explaining you know why you were doing the things that you were doing you know the proper way to to kind of handle yourself when you were out in the woods right okay uh it was more more lead by example so i i grew up in the golf business um my dad was a golf pro uh, at our local club here and so folks from the local chapters would always come in and ask for rounds of golf to donate and they usually with that would give a couple tickets for the banquets. And so we'd go to the banquets and have fun and, you know, do all the stuff. And, and really it spurred from there cause I was curious. And, um, once we went to, I went to the first state banquet for Oregon hunters and, oh, I can't remember if it was the statewide elk tag or the statewide deer tag. Um, it was, it went for 25 or $30,000. And I, I was like, what is that? You know, who did that? Why did they do that? Where did that come from? That, you know, because normally it's you're buying a gun for 800 bucks and, and not anything crazy like that. And then, you know, now looking at it in the space where we're watching deer tags for 400000 it's a little different. But um, that's that's where the question started happening. And then it's just been curiosity and a little bit of luck to get to work with some of the organizations we work with now. Yeah. You know, and you and I are about the same age, about, sounds like we're about a year apart. And when you said that, you know, your, your relatives, your, your father, your grandfather, uh, leading by example, and, you know, in terms of conservation, in terms of the right way to, to handle yourself, it seems to me that 
that's kind of how that generation uh, kind of passed that on to to people of our generation was it, it was never like a sit down talk you know about you know this is why we do things um, you know this is the right way to act you know we don't you know we don't leave things in the woods we we take out what we bring in you know all those yep. things and it seems like now and maybe it's just with uh, you know kind of I guess the way we interact with each other anymore and it it seems like I, I see a lot more people like having conversations you know trying to explain to other people what conservation is um, and there's not I mean there, there's certainly still a plethora of people out there that are leading by example right I think they're just a lot more vocal about it and uh, I think that's just kind of going with the times I guess I mean what do you think I, I don't disagree. Yeah. I mean, and I, we actually had this conversation not too long ago and I think a lot of it is the platforms in which you can go ahead and try to teach those messages. You know, when you and I were growing up, I mean, no cell phones, I mean, maybe a pager by the time you're in high school, you know, there's yeah. there there not, there's not Facebook and whatever else there is. So, so yeah, getting, getting, having folks take you under their wing and take you out there and, um, you know, camping or hunting or whatever it may be. I mean, that was really kind of it, not, you know, posting things online or sharing or whatever it may be. Yeah. Now, it's just different. Yeah. Now, where you grew up in Oregon, you, you grew up in Oregon, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to say, I thought you said that, but now growing up there in Oregon, were a lot of your, your friends, your buddies, you know, uh, family friends and things like that, were they all big hunters and anglers too? Or was it just kind of your family and, and you know, a lot of your friends didn't really participate? No, you, you know, you had obviously the friends who would go, uh, your friends you kind of deer hunted with, and then your friends, um, you know, family we would elk hunt with. And then I had some friends we'd go, you know, after school, we'd go find pheasants or ducks when they were in season. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a mix to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, excuse me. I always wonder, you know, how that, how that is for, for kids growing up that, you know, come from a, a family of hunters or a family of anglers but they don't have any any friends or buddies that do it. You know, I was pretty fortunate that, um, you know, my dad's friends had kids my age that liked doing the same things that, that I did in terms of hunting or fishing. So, so I mean, that's who I spent my time with. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's funny. There's another 2% brand. Um, it's called Hard Side Hydration. And it's uh, a buddy who I've grown up with since I was five years old. And it, it's it's funny to me that you take two kids from a very small rural community um, in northern Michigan and seeing how conservation, the outdoors has had, you know, such a profound impact on them that they've tried to, you know, make a go at, you know, something kind of related to the outdoor industry. I love that. That's yeah. I, I met those guys at uh, Hunt Expo actually. I stopped by and said hi. I didn't, I didn't say my name or anything, but I I said hi and checked their stuff out. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Dane, great. yeah, Dane Williams, the uh, he probably the one one of them with a beard, um, probably doing a lot of talking. That's um, yeah. I mean, he's I he's the kid that grew up you know around the corner from me that played baseball, football, basketball, you know, rode bikes with all the all the stuff you do as kids and. You know, the outdoors has just uh, such a way of, you know, really kind of guiding you uh, in your path throughout life if you really, you know, let it. I agree with you. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's, 
I wish more people would do so. I mean, I do, I do. I I've read a stat here recently that there are quite a few add-ons for you know new hunters each year and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you saw that uh, women hunt program that Wild Sheep's putting on now too. Um, there's you know so there's stuff like that that's going on bringing new people out there that didn't get to grow up like you and I did. Yeah. But, um, or or even just you know you finding new friends to bring them out or or your kids. I don't know how, if your kids are old enough yet. No, my kids are not old enough yet. Although, I will say that uh, was it last year, last fall. I brought my daughter out into uh, whitetail hunting with me, and nice. I use that. I say that with a, a very loose um, description because we sat in like this box blind where I was almost certain we weren't going to see any deer. Just it, it's just not a great spot, but it was kind of uh my in-laws have like a, a cabin with like 40 acres behind it and they've got a couple of these box blinds set up and i was just like you know what we can walk out there uh it's just a good opportunity to take her out there have some fun um we found this old little like recurve bow that she could at least carry with her out there so she felt like she was really in the game and I mean, I had, I had an iPad, I had snacks, I had like the whole nine because I mean, she was like four at the time and we lasted 35 minutes before, you know, she's sticking her head out of the blind, you know, I, I, let's go find them. You know, I'm like, that's not really how it works with this particular, uh, style of hunting. She's, I'm like, you know, they're going to run away before we can see them. Ah, dad, but I'm fast. I think I can catch them. It's like. You know, but just the, yeah, it was, it was such a, it was like the best 35 minutes I had of hunting that entire season, just to, to see the curiosity. Right. And, you know, now she, as she's a little bit older, you know, she, she always says she wants to come hunting with me and, you know, my son, who's a few years younger, uh, he still hasn't quite kind of come to terms with, with, uh, the idea of it, but no, it's, it's exciting to me that they're certainly interested in it. Um, you know, I just hope that as they continue to get older, obviously they continue to have that curiosity and that, you know, want to, to, to get out, you know, whether it's hunting or fishing, you know, whatever it is that they want to do, I certainly want to make sure that, um, I'm doing all that I can to, to give them the resources that they need to, to continue to stay interested. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Now, what have you found? I know you said when we talked yesterday uh, that you've got a couple um, young kids as well. I mean, how how do they look at the outdoors? I mean, is it something that, that you think that as they get a little bit older, they're certainly going to be interested in? Or, you know, what does that look like for them? Yeah, I, I'm actually lucky already. I, uh, my son is hooked. Um, he was able to harvest his first buck last year. And um, that was an awesome experience. Got to, got to do that with him. And talking about the family side of things, you know, so for me, you know, his dad was there, grandpa, his uncle, and then my uncle and cousin. So um, all there to see it happen, all there to, you know, lucky for the situation. And, and um, you know, that was probably my favorite hunt ever. You know, and that's that that's such a cool thing. And, you know, to, you know, I can only imagine, you know, how excited he was in the moment. And, you know, he may not appreciate it now being able to, you know, being able to have, you know, all of his, his friends and family there. But when he gets to be our age, you know, he's going to, you know, you hope that he looks back at that and says, how lucky was I? Like, how cool of a moment was that? 
And then, you know, that just makes him want to get his kids involved. And, you know, so you can be there to see your grandson or granddaughter harvest their first animal. I mean, that's that's what I love about hunting. That's what I love about the outdoors. And you can't, it's hard to explain that to people, what that, that moment is like. Oh, I, it was undescribable. I, don't, I really don't know how to put it into words. It was, it was as special as it gets. And, but to answer your original question, we've, we've been taking, uh, you know, I take my son and my daughter to, you know, most of our local shows. And then I take my son to one of the big shows and, um, he's, he's loving every second of it so far. He's, um, asked a bunch of questions about, who, what, where, you know, and, and, uh, folks spending those big dollars on those tags and stuff like that. And he's, he's always asking about, um, where we can go next or figure out something. And, and so I'm pretty excited about what that looks like, you know, down the road as he's getting you know older and, you know, again, we still kind of have that rule for our elk hunting to need you a little bit bigger just in case we get bad weather or something like that over there. And so he's already counting the days and he's got a little, a little ways to go before he's coming elk hunting. <laughs> but yeah, but I yeah, mean, that, that's exciting. yeah no that's great especially that you know at a at a younger age that he has that he has that fire he has that want to already that you know it's it's hard to you can't really teach that right you can't you know no matter how excited you get about it right if if he doesn't have that inside of him that excitement that drive to want to go do that it's you know you can talk to him all you want about you know how great it is you know what the experience is like you know you know hearing a bugling elk or you know whatever the case is but yeah, if if he has that already, I mean that's that's half the battle right there. Well, like you said about your experience with your with your daughter, we did a similar thing when he was like six, and it just so happens that uh, he's with his grandpa, and I was a little ways away, and out came a really nice, really nice blacktail buck, and my my dad was able to harvest him right there with my son, six years old, watching, and so I came back and I worked him up really really slow had him watch the whole process and i mean i i don't know if that was actually the moment he got hooked but um something that sits very special with him he's always he's always wanting to work on his little pack and you know get stuff out in the garage organized and things like that so i don't i mean only thing i can really say for you know folks out there that are getting their kids involved is just take them out get them get them outside and get them involved and you know get them in a blind or, or take them on a hike or whatever it may be because um you know just going outside is a lot better than sitting inside on a tablet or something yeah, and, and that's another thing I've talked about with guests in the past is, I mean, that's how we grew up, right? Like, we didn't have all of these distractions or anything like that. I mean, I think a lot of it for for me was just, you know, how much my dad was into the outdoors. I mean, you know, sure. I remember growing up, it was, you know, whitetail hunting, it was duck hunting, and then he got into, um, you know, more upland hunting, still with whitetail hunting, um, and then real big into fly fishing, and then you know, like walleye fishing. I mean, he just, he always had something going on in terms of hunting or fishing. So he didn't really want to like spend money on like, you know, video games and stuff like that. I mean, I remember the first year that like the the regular, the original Nintendo came out, we had it. And the only thing he would play was duck hunt on it. Right. He's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, forget Mario <laughs> brothers. Like I remember like Christmas day, like I have pictures of this, which is hilarious. Like my dad sitting in front of the TV, like with the gun playing duck hunt. And that was the only time we ever, you know, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old. That's the only video game console that I've ever owned. And I think <laughs> it was, great. yeah. And I think it was just because, you know, he saw the importance of getting outdoors and I mean, we didn't have distractions like that growing up. And right. so it was like, go outside and play, go get dirty, go, right. you know, go find some woods, go find a stream or a lake, you know, 
whatever the case was. And that was just what we did. We didn't have anything else to do to to preoccupy us or anything like that. We had to kind of make our own fun. And the outdoors was the way that we did it. <coughs> Excuse me. Same boat, same boat here. We're in the same boat. <coughs> yeah, and it's uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, nowadays it's, it's not quite like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, as much as I say that, like, there's been times where I've, like, I got to get stuff done and, you know, the kids are, you know, just being crazy. It's like, here's your tablet, like, give me a half hour, right? Like, I, I right. need to get stuff done. And, you know, at five years old, like, I can't just send them out in the yard to play. You know, I think, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, unsuper- right. unsupervised. But, yeah, I hope that as as time goes on, we, you know, the, the generations to come get back to, to, I guess, kind of the way that we were raised. Because I think there's um, a lot more benefits than that can come out of that way as opposed to, you know, giving them a tablet all the time or just keeping them indoors and, and not exposing them to, to things like that. Right. Oh, I agree. Yeah. So before I let you go here, Justin, sure. obviously we, you, you talked about the sheep hunt that you had, you talked about, you know, great blacktail hunting there in Oregon elk camp. Is there anything that you really have on, have in store for 2022 that, that has you pretty fired up or that you're really looking forward to? Yeah, it's been a, I do actually. So we've been doing some planning for a couple of different things. Um, you know, so the way we, we have figured out, you know, from a financial standpoint is just put some money aside and save, save, save until we can go figure out one of these hunts. Cause one of these days your knees aren't going to work anymore and they're, it's not going to function <laughs> to get up, get around. So, yeah. Um, and I, I very fortunate to be, to bless with an opportunity to serve on the uh, board of directors for the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance also. And okay. so, um, you know, out here in Oregon, the, uh, for a goat out here, it's a once in a lifetime tag and it's, you know, there's only, I think it's like 12 tags this year or something crazy like that. And the odds of drawing it are, you know, zero basically. Yeah. And, but they live over there where we all cut. So, uh, seeing where they live and where they climb around, feed, sleep is amazing to me. And so was, you know, blessed with the opportunity and now it's, I'm looking forward to what this year has in store for, um, you know, supporting that conservation goal as well. Um, there's a lot of awesome science and brilliant minds that work with that, with, uh, the goat Alliance. And so it's, it's been, you know, for these first couple of months, it's been all just really meeting people and learning about the science behind it and the concert, the science of conservation committee themselves. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that in 2022. Yeah. I had, um, yeah. I spent, I had, uh, was it, uh, Lee McDonald from the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance uh, on the sure. podcast back in October? Um, we did. I did like this uh, conservation month where I had. Um, I say conservation month, even though the podcast is you know kind of centered around conservation, uh, but had him on to talk about uh, the the Goat Alliance, all the work that they're doing, um, you know, some of the the difficulties that they face, um, you know, with population, herd management, all that stuff, and. It's uh, it's super cool to to learn about these kind of individual species, um, you know what they face, um, some of the the problems that they face, you know what they're trying to do uh, in terms of you know herd management, disease control, all that good stuff. Um, so for you getting involved with that, I mean that's got to be you know super exciting. And it's really neat too that from an organization standpoint, it's it's all about you know, the science and the support of the animal, which, which is, you know, not, not all organizations are like that, which is something I really, really like about, um, 
this particular group and, and what they've got going on. So it's I'm excited to see what is in store. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of updates and things going on, and and so um, it'll be neat to see you know from looking at it till 2023 what what happens and um that's that's one thing i guess um not much else hunting wise though we've got it taking kind of a year down we're gonna i'm gonna help on an elk hunt that's about all i've got planned for wearing out my back for a buddy of mine yeah there you go and hopefully he ret- <laughs> hopefully he returns the favor uh when the time comes one of these times <laughs> yeah um before i let you go where can uh if people want to you know find out more information or if you know they want to inquire about your services where can they find rps bank card Sure. So the website is uh, www.rpsbancard.com. And then my email, if that's ever reached about, is justin at the same, rpsbankcard.com. Awesome. Well, Justin, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it was certainly interesting to learn, you know, more about kind of the uh, the back inside of, of what you guys do, um, because again, like I mentioned earlier, it's not something that people tend to think about, you know, that line of work when it comes to conservation. But the fact that that you and your team have been able to to combine the two and you know help raise money and awareness for a lot of different organizations, both nationally and there in Oregon, and is awesome. And I think that's just you know the beauty of 2% and all that they do. So thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, Justin, we'll take care, man. And uh, hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Appreciate the visit. All right, take care. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you to Justin for joining me on the podcast today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Wild Rivers Coffee and Stone Glacier, as well as 2% for Conservation. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where they're going to post only positive conservation-driven content in your feed. So you'll certainly enjoy that. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, be sure and check out theaverageconservationist.com. You can get up to date on all of the um, previous podcasts. Uh, also, just dropped some new gear uh, in there this week. Um, three t-shirts, a uh, couple sweatshirts. Uh, so go over, pick one of those up, help support conservation. Um, and as always, stay safe out there. And remember that conservation starts with you. Uh-huh.